Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. (laughs) Folks, let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, you are our guide and our destination. Lead us, Lord, and send a word. Your children listen. Amen. Well, yesterday I had occasion to head back down south to my old stomping grounds in Kalamazoo, Michigan. K-A-K-L-A-K-M-A-K-Zoo, Celery City of Michigan. Uh, did you know that? That we're known as Celery City for a while. Grew a lot of celery there in that black muck dirt. A friend of mine who's a musician, uh, Caitlin Rose, asked me if I would play backup fiddle for her uh, band uh, that was doing, well, she called me on the phone and she said, I need a, I want two fiddle players and I know you're busy, so I just want you to do backup. And uh, it's a Shania Twain cover band. And I said, oh, I'm in. I love Shania Twain. That's going to be great. I'm going to have a good time. And I said yes to it. And then I hung up my phone and I thought, Shania Twain. I was like, you know what? I think I was thinking of Reba McIntyre. <laughs> and so I looked up Shania Twain and then I said, oh, no. What, what 1990s pop music goofiness have I got myself mixed up in? So, but I learned all the songs, and like I said, I was the, I was the second fiddle, so I just, it wasn't, wasn't real complicated. We had four or five shows planned out, but one of them was yesterday, and it was to headline the Kalamazoo Pride Festival. June is Pride Month. It's a month that, for many people in our community, they set aside to, to celebrate uh, many of the civil rights victories uh, that have taken place over the last 50 or 60 years in the LGBTQ community. And Kalamazoo Pride is a wonderful festival they have down there at Arcadia. It coincides with the Arts Festival, uh, and so it's kind of a big festival weekend in Kalamazoo. And we were headlining, and there's 12 people in this band. It was a, it was a huge uh, endeavor to play these uh, Shania Twain songs. And thank God, that it, she also put some Fleetwood Mac in there, too, so that was, that was good. Um, and I was up there playing my fiddle, and, and uh, quite a few of my former parishioners were in attendance, and oh, that looks like Danison. Is he up there? That's him. You know, I wore my big cowboy hat because I was trying to stay under the radar. Um, we get up there, we're playing this music, and people went crazy. They love that Shania Twain stuff. And at one point, there's, I didn't know what was going to happen, so I'm trying to stay off to the side. And these four dancers come up on stage. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I'm just kind of doing my thing, and they're dancing. Crowd's going crazy. Everybody's having a good time. That's not really my uh, typical community uh, that I spend a lot of time with. I'm, I'm more of a bark and berries kind of person, uh, more apt to be out fishing on the river than dancing at a pride festival. Uh, But it was a really beautiful moment, and I know that for a lot of the people who gathered there that day, it was one of the only times in the year when they can really be themselves. They can really be true to themselves and and, and know to a relative uh, certainty that they're safe. Because I'm also a Christian and a uh, Bible-believing Christian, somebody who proclaims the gospel and and the resurrected uh, Jesus Christ, I, I encounter a lot of other Christians, especially other Christian clergy critters who have a a deep uh, and somewhat misguided uh, problem with Pride Month or any kind of display of pride. And so often I hear them say, uh, 
you know, uh, pride, that's nothing to be proud of. <laughs> I'll say pride that's, that's pride, that's one of the seven deadly sins. I'll say to my Baptist compatriot, are you a Roman Catholic now? Are we do, we're doing the seven deadly sins now? Is that what we're... No, no, no. Pride is a, pride's a sin. The first sin. Pride went before the fall. And I've always sort of thought that that's such a hollow uh, indictment of pride because, yes, pride goeth before the fall. Pride is the first sin. Pride is that which cast us out from the garden. But accusing an oppressed minority of sinning for having pride in themselves, that's like... Uh, it's like coming upon a starving person eating a meager bit of food and saying, careful, gluttony, it's one of the seven deadly sins, you know. It's just ridiculous. Pride began in the 1950s and 60s with some very brave individuals who were tired of being rounded up and thrown in jail simply for being who they were. And so I revel in occasions when people who are stepped on or treated like dirt uh, most of their lives are able to take a moment and uh, be who they really are and be present. I think that if it were any other minority expressing pride in their history and who they are, I don't think that many Christians would have much to say about it. There is a great and famous quote that's frequently attributed to St. Francis. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and use words if necessary. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus makes a couple of things clear. But one of them is that we are under an obligation to share his good news with all of the people of the earth. They say this, go forth, make disciples of all nations. People love that. They put that on a bumper sticker. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll put some water on them. But then they, they always leave out the last part of what he says. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I'm afraid that for far too many Christians in this country, they're utterly unfamiliar with what Jesus has commanded us to do. They get the first part, the whole business about having faith and repenting. And they get that second part about the importance of baptism. But it's the third part that they leave at the door. Obey everything that I have commanded you. If you do nothing else with the four Gospels that God has given us, you would be best served to read them and discover that which Jesus commands us to do. That's the letters in red. That's the important part. And I know that at the very top of that list is to love not just the people who look like us, or act like us, or dress like us, or think like us, but to love most especially those who are different from us, and indeed to even love those who curse us and hate us. That is how we demonstrate fidelity, and that is how we teach the way of Jesus Christ to others. As I said last week, it's not simply enough to be a good person. Would that that were the case. A Christian isn't just somebody with a moral compass. All sorts of people have moral compasses. To be a Christian is to teach through action. Okay. There's another part in this reading that I think gets lost in the chaff. 
there's a hesitancy amongst Christians to engage with individuals who may have been wounded by the church or by clergy in the past. A hesitancy to engage with people who utterly reject the idea of some higher power. But I'm under great pains to remind all of us that the verse that precedes that teaching from Jesus, when they saw him, they worshipped him, it says, but some doubted. But some doubted. Now we're talking here about the 11 disciples. These aren't, this isn't the field of 5,000. This isn't, this isn't some massive crowd. This isn't a bunch of people gathered in Jerusalem uh, laying their cloaks on the road and waving palm branches. Would, would some of them doubted him, that's fine. They could hold their judgment. They could withhold their praise. These are the 11 disciples. These are literally the founders of our faith. The people who go forth to sow the church into the very fabric of existence. And it says here, upon seeing Jesus resurrected in the flesh, standing before them on that mountaintop, and yet some doubted. Kinfolk, if the 11 disciples can doubt, standing before their Lord and Savior risen, ascendant, then I think it's more than fair that those of us who proclaim his message in the world might be allowed to express and experience doubt. And if all you had to go by was the testimony of Jesus' followers and the behavior of self-proclaimed Christians, indeed, I think that doubt might be a perfectly natural reaction to the message of Jesus Christ. There in that crowd on yesterday when I was playing my fiddle, I looked out and I saw quite a few folks that I recognized from churches I'd served. I, I served two different, three, three different congregations, technically four different congregations in the Kalamazoo area of all different flavors. And I saw a lot of folks from my churches out there and I saw a lot of gay Christians in that crowd, dancing and, and, and praising and having a good time. The plight of the gay Christian absolutely fascinates me. It's something like the story of the immigrant. I've always held that if we're going to have a competition to see who is the most American America, American, the most, the most fervent patriot, the, 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 the best, uh, the, we're going to have an Olympics for patriotism. I hold that an immigrant is going to win that contest every single time. Now, I'm proud of America. I'm delighted that I get to live here. And I did absolutely nothing to get to be an American. I came out of my mom. That's, that's what I did. That's the amount of effort. Now, she had to do some effort, I suppose. But I don't even remember it. I just grew up with it. They gave me a piece of paper before I could read. It said, you're an American. Congratulations, son. I think that people sacrifice for this country. I think that they give a lot. My father and his fathers and all the men in my family served in the military, served overseas in, in combat. But no, I didn't really do anything to be an American. I pay my taxes and I haven't left. <laughs> That's the extent, I guess, of my efforts at being an American. But an immigrant, especially someone from a, a country that they've lived in their whole lives, the country where they're parents and grandparents and ancestors are buried. A nation, 
of people who speak their language, for them to set forth on the journey to become an American. And then what's more, we don't exactly make it easy to become an American. If you think uh, passing your SAT exam was hard, let me tell you about the immigration process. It is harrowing, harrowing. I know I talk about Auntie Sahida a lot. She absolutely changed my life. I've never met anyone prouder to be an American, despite the fact that for many years, the government in this country sent her countless letters that said, you're not an American. You have to go back to Pakistan. But she, she, she stayed, she, she, she couldn't go back. She paid, she paid her taxes every year. She never got so much as a parking ticket. She adopted and taught 22 orphaned refugees how to speak English and how to go shopping at the grocery store and how to pay their taxes. She loved being an American so much that she taught other young immigrants how to do it. And so when the government came and said, well, we're sending you back to Pakistan, and she said, I'm not going. I'm an American. I belong here. I said, I'm with her. I believe what she said is true, because she's more of an American than I'll ever be. Well, okay. What does this have to do with the gay Christian, the plight of the gay Christian? I've known gay Christians who have been thrown out of many churches. Now, in the South, it was often a lot more explicit. I met a young man who'd been thrown out of his father's church. His father was the senior minister of this church. And this young man was an organist, and when it was discovered that he was gay, they, his father, his father had the elders of the church pick this young man up and throw him out of the doors of the church. When he showed up at my church, he had braces on his wrists from where both of his wrists had shattered, hitting the sidewalk in front of his dad's own church, the church he grew up in. And yet, there he was in my congregation. Why? Because he loved Jesus. <laughs> How many churches have these folks been thrown out of, turned away from? You don't have to be a Christian. You can choose for yourself, as Joshua says, whichever God you'd like to worship. And there are many, many faith traditions out there that honestly, the issue of homosexuality just doesn't even tick the meter. It just doesn't even come up. But for these folks, their, their, their relationship with God through the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ as their Savior is so compelling and so profound that they subject themselves to the misery of being cast out over and over again. Presumably until they find themselves in a congregation like this, in a church that is explicitly open and affirming. All right, and that's why it's important that we're explicit and that we're clear. I don't hear this as much as I used to, but earlier in my career, I would work with congregations and, and they just, they wouldn't really want to talk about this and they would just say, well, all are welcome. Can we just say all are welcome here? Why do we got to make it weird? Why do we got to spell it out? And oftentimes I would work with them and we'd start with something like disabilities. Disabilities. We will all of us experience disability in our life. Unless you get like, unless you're like the model of fitness and you get hit by a bread truck at the age of 40. 
you're going to experience fitness, uh, disability in your life. I've already experienced it. I never thought I'd have to wear these things. I can't see any of you right now. You're just like a foggy mist. Disability, it's not a bad, it's not a bad one, but we'll all experience it. And so for the folks who say, well, why can't we just say all are welcome, I'll pull out some wheelchairs. Say, have a seat. Okay, now, go to the sanctuary. Go to the classrooms. Use the elevator. Try to get in and out of the building without getting out of that wheelchair. Okay? Now, if you're a person who uses a wheelchair, you're going to realize it's a pretty big deal that the church says, hey, we are fully ADA compliant, or we have, uh, we have made it our priority to welcome folks who have this disability. For those folks who have those mobility issues, it's very important that the church is explicit about that. Likewise, for people who have been thrown out of churches for loving the way that God made them to love, it is important to them that we are explicit about our welcome. And this is just part of the American experience. Understanding that we're not all identical, but that being made in the image of God, we express a radical diversity. And so it was good for me to be amongst those people yesterday at that festival. Even them, most of them knowing that I was some flavor of Christian, for me to express love and joy to them was to obey the commandments of Jesus Christ, to do that which he taught me to do. And the promise of Jesus Christ is that by doing this, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I can't think of anything better. I can't think of anything better than to be with Jesus Christ. So that's what drives me and compels me to go and be with people who are different from myself. Perhaps it's selfish, but I just want to be with Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. So I'm sent. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Who are the nations? Does that mean I go to Canada? Mexico? I don't know. No, for me, for Nathan, it means that I go to those places where perhaps I don't intrinsically belong. But I go there and I obey Jesus Christ's commandment and I am with them and I minister to them and with them and I serve them. And that's where I meet Jesus. That's where I meet Jesus. To the end, every time. And so, yeah, we have this welcome. We have this glorious rainbow. And it's not, it's not God's rainbow versus the, 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 the rainbow flag of the gay community, folks. They, they're one and the same. That represents a promise. It's a promise. It's a covenant for all people. That's why we fly it. It's God's promise that all are made in the image of God. That all are made in the image of God. Fidelity to Jesus Christ means not that we always get it right. And fidelity to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we never doubt. But it does mean that we are a people who are sent. We're sent to those who are different from us. And then that's where we encounter Jesus and he promises, I will be with you. I will be with you to the end. Amen.